It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. Ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. Boys are back, baby. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception Perception, the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception Perception, the show. All right, Matt, uh, week 11 is now well, primarily in the books here. I guess when the people who listen to the podcast, so week 11 will be officially in the books. Um, big big takeaways from week 11. What's on your mind? Oh, man. Um, you know, I was actually going to pitch you next uh, episode, which we are recording earlier, by the way. The mm-hmm. uh, second right. episode of the week will be out a day early because we don't want to drop you a episode on Thanksgiving Day for none of you all to listen to it. We want you to listen to the podcast that we record <laughs> exactly. here. So uh, yes. <laughs> tomorrow we'll have another episode out. I was actually going to pitch you maybe like a a playoff, you know, kind of temperature check, which these teams mm. were buying and selling for the playoffs because um, yeah. I do think that NFC AFC wildcard race is really interesting. Obviously, um, they're both jumbled, but in like different ways. Uh, in the AFC, you just think like, man, there's probably at least, well, it's tough now with the Bengals, you know, and Joe Burrow. It's like, yeah, but you probably think right. like there's going to be one team that, that you, that you want to watch that isn't going to make it. And then the NFC, you just get the feeling like, oh my God, like could the Packers make it? <laughs> you know, like one of, <laughs> one of those type of teams that, oh my God, you know, like two or three weeks ago, we were like, yeah, they're, 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 this team's kind of toast. No, the, right. the playoff race is just in such an interesting spot. So I think that is uh, definitely on my mind. And, and also just like which of these teams are going to kind of remake themselves on the fly. You know, we're going to talk about the Bills, and I think they're a great candidate for this. So I don't know. Uh, I I think, you know, some people jokingly say uh, season doesn't really start until after Thanksgiving. That's like an old trope, yeah. you know. But Right, right, right. I kind of sort of believe it this year with the way the league is so jumbled up. It's very jumbled. Uh, offenses, I think, across the board are down. Obviously, nearly 20% of the starting quarterbacks are out for the season right now. Uh, that It doesn't include, you know, guys who have missed significant time. So, I mean, you're just talking about season-ending injuries. I think something like, what is it, uh, six starting quarterbacks are now, uh, what, on the shelf for the rest of the year, right? So, uh, it just... Crazy. It's it, it, the 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 quarterback play is obviously down in the league, and you know running back play is also really down in the league mm-hmm. as well, Matt. I mean, you take a look around the league right now, and, and tell me a running back really that's just playing out of his mind. It, it's really hard to find. Christian McCaffrey certainly comes to mind, but really, I pull up some of these defensive stats, Matt. And something like 40% of teams are forcing opposing running backs to under four yards a carry, man. Uh, that is just, and again, wow. I, I know we're deep teams? into the numbers. There, there's like something like 10 or 12 teams or something like that. It's, it's insane. Um, but it's, it's just, look, I know we're do- going to the weeds here, but in years previous, if there were like two teams that were holding opposing running backs to less than four yards of carry, you were impressed. 
Okay, right yeah. now we're talking 10 to 12 are limiting opposing running backs to under four yards a carry. Running back play is also down in the NFL. That's why we're seeing overall scoring uh, be pretty down in the NFL. I think a big uh, one of the one of the teams that I think we, when we talk about offense is being down certainly I think would be the Buffalo Bills. Now, maybe they score a lot of points. They put up a lot of points uh, against the Jets, Matt, but um, they certainly came in with a lot of eyeballs into this game for both teams for different reasons. Zach Wilson on the other sideline, but I think a lot of folks were keeping an eye on this Buffalo Bills offense, especially because they made that OC um, coordinator change, right? So, I don't know. What did you see from the Bills passing offense? Did they pass the eyeball test to you, or was it just primarily that the Jets were bad? Good question, and and I, it's hard to say, right, because the Jets' defense we know is a good unit. Um, they are great against the run. They're great against the pass. It's, it's an overall, I mean, a swarming unit, like a, a really overtake games type of uh, defense. That being said, I wouldn't blame these guys if they start to get to a point where we're, you know, I'm talking about the Jets' defense, where, where they get to a point where like, you know what? We are, and, and they got guys fighting on the sideline, right? Yeah. Like the Jets <laughs> right. defense. You can tell They're the frustration fighting. is boiling over yeah. because they have played with a non functional offense this entire right. year. I mean, the Correct. Jets are rolling out Tim Boyle. They're going to start Tim Boyle this week. Have you seen Tim Boyle's college stats, James? Uh, no. I, no, I've never been even inclined to think about looking at his college stats. Uh, neither have I, but I saw. But I was forced to look at it by my Twitter timeline today. Yeah, I believe he threw one touchdown to thirteen interceptions in college. What? Yeah, no, I'm yeah one no. to thirteen. Yeah, Impo- impossible. One to thirteen, bro. I'm I'm serious. I mean, that is outrageous stuff. Like, how did you get in the league? Type of stuff. But um, alas, here we are. Um, I'm, I'm assuming he's very good buddies with Aaron Rodgers. What, well, what yeah, is he happening played, he here? played uh, on the Packers too. So yeah, yeah, this, this no, is, I, yeah, I get that. But it's like, how, how is he in the NFL? This is madness. <laughs> I know pretty crazy stuff. So, um, I wouldn't blame the Jets defense if they're starting to get so frustrated to the point that like, all right, they're, you know, they're not giving, uh, f- they're not trying their hardest, right? Like, I'm not saying these guys are quitting out there, but it's just like, all right, yeah. we're just so frustrated. How you can you you start to break under that pressure? Um, For sure. So, so there is that part of it, but um, and Josh Allen said after the game uh, that this is not an offense that was broken. The Buffalo Bills, and you know every metric. I'm sure we talked about it. Every metric would indicate it was not a broken offense from like a process standpoint, a structure standpoint. Um, they just needed a few like little things to get done and they got the little things done this week, which is what Josh basically said. A lot of that is don't turn the ball over, you know, that type of thing. I think when you look at uh, the bills offense from this past week, you know, Joe Brady brings a little bit more motion to the table, a little more, you know, maybe, maybe that's what was missing from, from Ken Dorsey. Maybe uh, there, there's a little bit of that in, in terms of, criticism from the top down like why aren't you doing this stuff on offense um they ran the ball well they ran the ball 20 27 carries between uh james cook and latavius murray i think that's something that needs to happen more often just for them to keep the offense on schedule keep josh allen out of these like turnover prone situations and obviously stefan Diggs doesn't have a big game but you know it's the jets cover corners and sauce gardner's great you know dj reed's great it's a great secondary in general that's not the craziest thing in the world, but you know, Khalil Shakir pops up for over a hundred yards. He, he yeah. scores a big, but right. 
Like, is he their second best receiver right now? Is he better than Gabe Davis? I think that's very possible that he's better than Gabe Davis, um, who doesn't get a target in this game. Dalton Kincaid not a one. Continue, not, not a one, baby. You know, <laughs> not Dalton a Kincaid one. continues to be uh, an outlet <laughs> option for them. You know, I obviously criticized them on the last podcast. Like, hey, want you need a receiver upgrade. Go get a receiver upgrade by just finding a receiver, draft a receiver, something like that. It, it You don't have to galaxy brain yourself into this whole thing. But Kincaid's a really good player, and I think he's mm-hmm. going to continue to be a good option for them as a tight end. I think these running backs will be good as running backs. Um, it's just, again, they, they need a second receiver to step up. I was a big fan of Khalil Shakir. I've been a big fan of his game. I, I'm glad we're seeing more of him at least. Yeah, I mean, seven targets, I think, total right here for um – well, I guess, uh, what is it? Eight targets total to running backs here for uh, the Buffalo Bills in week number 11. Uh, whether it's more motion or whether they're running the ball more, I, I, yet to be determined because they're playing with such a large lead. Um, but I will say this. In the passing game, I thought it was very evident uh, that they were going to try to utilize some of the run, running backs more out of the passing game. And what that does, I think, for Josh Allen is that there are certain plays that he can now quote unquote, take off, right? Because mm-hmm. these are these are easy button plays, right? You know that it's like, all right, let's just set this up, wait for the timing to develop and uh, get the screeners out there, get those big boys out front, uh, drop it off to your running backs uh, and let them do the work, right? So uh, I thought, at least from a mental standpoint, I thought that would help Josh Allen uh, quite a bit. Now we'll see if that holds up, you know, again, I'm not 100%. I, I asked this question knowing what my answer is, which is I think it's TBD. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that we saw that much of an improvement from the Bills' offense. I think we saw a couple of different wrinkles that I think I am intrigued by. Certainly, I bring up the running back production uh, as one of those things. Um, and then again, it's just kind of like, what does that look like moving forward against an actual functional NFL team that can that can play both sides of the football, you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of TBD, but I did want to get your kind of take on, on the, the wide receiver play, especially for the Buffalo Bills. Well, I, let me follow up on something you said there about the RPO stuff or, um, you know, mm-hmm. the, the running game and like everything like that. I was listening to uh, obviously great podcast, the athletic football show. Robert Mays uh, does an episode during the week with Chase Daniel, who, you know, is backup quarterback in the league forever. And I, he was mentioning that awesome uh, analyst. Yeah. He, Chase has been great. He's, he's, he's killing it. Um, he's killing it as the get the bag backup quarterback. He's been killing it now as a, as a, you know, post playing media career. So shout out For to Chase sure. Daniel there. Um, but they were talking about, you know, old like coordinators like Gary Kubiak used to, like Robert was t- t- telling a story about how he would you know like w- as the RPO stuff was rising and everything you know sometimes these coordinators like Gary Kubiak like just let the run game be the run game and like why is it important to have the run game so that your quarterback can just like take a take a breather like take a literally a mental break like you said turn his brain off Josh Allen right now is second in the NFL in RPO pass attempts uh, behind only Jalen Hurts. So this is a guy that's having to come to the to the line of scrimmage and think every single snap, like, you know, the, mm. the run pass option thing. And it's like, okay, if you just have a regular old run game, and obviously they have a run game. It's not as if they're every single run play is an RPO and every single pass game sure. is an RPO. Obviously that's not the case. But, like, for a guy like Kyler Murray is another example. Like, in this offense now, and he hasn't he's lit the world on, out on fire or anything, but that's why I'm intrigued long term, is like, now I guess you just come to the, to the snap, 
come to come to the ball, uh, come to the line of scrimmage, and just like, all right, this play, I don't have to think about anything except get like literally putting the ball in the hands of my running back instead of just like, all right, I got to process all this stuff and da 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 da, and then post snap, oh, looks, you know, just all this stuff going on at once. So maybe that's a way that Joe Brady can calm Josh Allen down. Now I haven't yeah. seen the numbers on how much was RPO stuff uh, against the Jets, but it's something that they can. Um, they can definitely do going forward. And I agree with you overall that we'll, we'll know a lot more after the Philly game next week than we do right now about whether <laughs> this offense can sustain itself the rest of the season. Right. But yeah, man, Shakir, I remain really interested in, in Khalil Shakir as a player. Um, I just think he offers you more separation ability than Gabe Davis, but still offers you some of that same big playability. It's not the same type of big playability, but like – it's just tough when teams dedicate extra resources to take away Stefan Diggs, as we know they do. You know, he's one of the most double covered players in the NFL in reception perception in the last couple of years, basically ever since he's been a bill. It's just nice when you have a Kincaid, when you have a Shakir, a guy that's going to separate to be that second, third read instead of Gabe Davis, not because Gabe can't, he's a useful player in this one particular role, but he's just so far stretched like out of his ability to be a consistent number two receiver. So having Shakir emerge, I think is pretty critical because like this is a guy in his collegiate reception perception sample that could beat man coverage and they haven't had another consistent man beater in this offense outside of Diggs. Yeah, I think just from a construction standpoint, I look at this roster for the Bills and I say, man, they've got enough. They 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 have the pieces to absolutely light the world on fire offensively, but they have to figure out the chemistry, the target share, where yeah. does everyone fit in? But because just from a construction standpoint they have enough Stefan Diggson is an absolute superstar you want a short area you know guy they've got Shakir I think is a capable player in that short area you got you want you, you want to you know stretch and tax the seams Kincaid great let's do that you want to go you everyone wants to crowd the box let's go in over the top with Gabe Davis so I'm not saying it's an embarrassment of riches but they have enough they have the pieces and certainly the trigger man there with Josh Allen. It's enough. They have the pieces in place to be an absolutely fantastic offense. And they got to figure this thing out soon, man. How crazy would it be? I know we started talking about the show, about the playoffs. How crazy would it be if this team ends up missing the playoffs? We got no Bengals. We got no Bills in the AFC, man. That that would just be crazy to me. Uh, and and certainly just as a fan of the NFL, uh, that would bum me out, man. That would absolutely bum me out. You know what I'm saying? Oh, totally. Um, yeah, obviously the, the the Bengals is just – it's a bummer that we're not going to get Burrow. But, you know, yeah. the Ravens are probably going to win the AFC North and the Steelers are going to hang around. The Browns, like, are they're going to hang around. The uh, Jags. Yeah, the Jags and the Texans, like one of those teams can easily make it. So it's very possible uh, that, that the Bills don't make the playoffs. That, like, I know. The Steelers are in, are in it here. I mean, I do think now that the Bengals have, have gotten to the point that they're in, like they're that would have been really tough for both of those teams to make it, and there could have been some cannibalization there. But um, as right. much as I like what the Colts have done this year, as much as you got to respect the Broncos – for turning their season around. Uh, I called them tastefully boring uh, on my Sunday night <laughs> recap show. Um, okay. And I think that's kind of where they're at right now, but that's a lot better than giving up 70 points. 
I still don't think the Colts and the Bill, the Broncos who are behind the Bills in terms of the playoff picture right now really right. are going to get um really are going to like push Buffalo there. It's just really these teams yeah, and the Chargers and the Jets come on. Those are those guys are so unserious. It's not even funny. Like it's really just like Buffalo just has to keep winning games and they got to hope that, you know, Pittsburgh can't can't keep getting away with this, you know, the Kenny Pickett thing. They can't keep getting away with this, uh, which is possible. All that stuff is yeah. possible. Hope is not lost, and I'm I'm with you that they have the horses to do it. I definitely wish they had like, I I wish they had better at their number two receiver than Gabe Davis, like from an outside receiver perspective. But you know, mm-hmm. it's it's it is what it is. I think they have enough to to find answers. They just have to find answers more right. consistently yes. in games. Yeah, they got to solve those puzzles that uh, that the defenses present them. I think for sure. What do hey, you, you know? Who happens, we don't talk- by the way, what do you think happens? But when Dawson Knox gets back, like because that is one thing. You know, mm. I do think, and and for whatever reason, last two uh, p- posts we've put up on Instagram have, that have blown up from this podcast have been Bills uh, posts and like. People did not like my. Uh, I think there was a little misinterpretation of my take on the offense and like, why don't you just draft a real receiver? I'm not saying don't draft Dalton Kincaid. Dalton Kincaid was a good draft pick, but mm-hmm. instead, like, he was a good draft pick as a real tight end, not like a the eleven like the eleven and a half personnel stuff wasn't working. Okay, like in the first part, part of the season because. <laughs> It's like, oh, we're going to come out there with two tight ends and then we're going to have the flexibility when teams match us in base. Well, everybody just came out and matched you in nickel because they knew you spent all offseason talking about Kincaid as basically a a wide receiver, okay? So that was stupid. That was the thing that was not a good idea. And they're like, okay, spend a real draft pick on a receiver beyond just day three. That's the only time you take receivers. The last receiver the Bills have taken on day two was Zay Jones, who's played for two teams since then. Two teams. Also had like yeah. a thirty-six percent catch rate as a rookie. That was a pretty big. Nightmare. Oh my goodness. Um. Yeah, anyways, so point being, um, what do you think happens with this offense when Dawson Knox gets back? Do they go back? Like, do they go back to the two tight ends? Because they did. Like, people forget they paid Dawson Knox contract. I know they really did. Uh, they might just have to eat that money, honestly, because I, I think this offense with Kincaid has been a lot, uh, a lot more consistent, a lot more explosive. Kincaid, I think you know, um, fills that role. I, look, Dawson Knox uh, has a certain built-in chemistry with the quarterback in Josh Allen, but I don't know, for them to go back to like a two tight end set seems, I don't know, insane at this point. Also, they got rid of the, they got rid of Ken Dorsey. So, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't think they go back to that. Um, maybe they figure out a way um, to every now and again, sprinkle in the whole Dawson Knox thing. I don't know. May, to be honest with you, Maybe they just take, you know, they treat them like running backs where, okay, this is a Kincaid series. This is a Knox series. You know what I mean? And um, and just kind of sort of alternate um, that position group. But I just, it would be the definition of insanity, would it not? To go back to that two tight end set and, and and try to find answers again that way. Not when they've, I think, taken steps forward now. Uh, with their offense, with Shakir playing a more prominent role, I don't know. I'd be I'd be really surprised. Yeah, and I still like I think Shakir can beat man coverage and play outside, but they like Gabe Davis as a blocker, you know, in two receiver yeah. sets. So I think that is a, a definitely something to for Joe Brady to problem solve. Who primarily with the Panthers, and you know, this stuff can be tricky because it's all about who's on your roster. But primarily right. was a spread offense with. Three yep. receivers, I believe that was when they had DJ Moore as their X, Curtis Samuel as their slot. 
uh, and Robbie, at the time he was Robbie Anderson, um, right. <laughs> whatever his name is now at the time, Robbie, Robbie Anderson was their chosen, flanker. I believe. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I, listen, I, I think that's what, that, that's exactly what Joe Brady. And again, that's what we saw collegiately at LSU, I think from Joe Brady as well. So yeah. I, I would be surprised. I think we're going to see a heavy 11 personnel. And by the way, when Josh Allen's your quarterback, that's, Dude, yes, please. 11 right. personnel. Stop it. You know, like I said the same thing about Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville. Yo, can, can you put three wide receivers on the field? You know, like why do we have to wait for Zay Jones to come back? It's almost as if there's no other wide receivers in existence on that roster. And I get it. The well, depth chart doesn't look that deep. <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> their fourth but receiver is their fourth receiver is Jamal Agnew, who is a converted cornerback. So yeah, hey, listen, figure out a way, okay, Jags, <laughs> figure out a way. Fine. So th- there's got to be somebody you could sign off the street. I mean, golly, I, I just I'm just confused by Jacksonville. Speaking of wide receivers that um, you know that are great. I know that you and I, we both loved Amon Ross St. Brown through the draft process. We were both early adopters uh, of Amon Ross St. Brown. We were very confused as to why he fell so far in the draft. We've been big cheerleaders uh, of the former USC product here, okay? But I just feel like in recent, you know, uh, certainly in recent episodes, I don't feel like we've ever talked about Amon Ross St. Brown, and that's a dang shame because I'll tell you what, he is truly, truly, truly one of the best uh, uh, receivers we've got uh, in the business today. So why don't we get enough Amon Ra St. Brown praise uh, across the national landscape? Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I think a lot of it does come back to he was a day three draft pick and he sort of kind of gets it done differently than other receivers, which I think is what tripped a lot of people up about him coming out of his rookie season. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when he was like it was I I couldn't believe how controversial like the Amon Ross St. Brown like debates were in fantasy football, especially like you had to be on one side or the other. And it was so like yeah. weird because he, right. he wasn't going particularly high. He was going like around wide receiver 24. I remember writing that like in the receivers ranked above consensus that year. Um, and you know, his, and even the lions too, like to bring this back to his rookie season, I don't think they quite knew like what position to have him play in the first part of his year, in the first part of his rookie year, because in the rookie report that year, I noted like, yeah, he's running a lot of like deep routes and he's running a lot of, yeah, um, he's running outside a, a lot too. He's playing a lot outside. And like, I, I thought when he was in college that I made the Bud Light Cooper cup comparison, like he needs to be in that power slot mold. Um, 
for him to be successful. Like, I don't think he, just like I don't think Cooper Cup would have succeeded if he was asked to be a guy that runs deep and Correct. outside and stuff like that. And then the uh, Lions make a offensive coordinator change in the middle of the season. Anthony Lynn, remember, was the OC originally under Dan Campbell. He gets bounced, Ben Johnson gets promoted, right. and the rest is kind of history. So the fact that St. Brown does it as this, like, big slot power slot guy and he, and he does play outside as well he can play flanker and two receiver sets no problem you know we noted this in the offseason that his man coverage scores had taken a big tick up from his rookie mm -hmm. season where he was already a really good zone beater and he became better and better about beating man coverage and winning in tight spaces so i think he's a guy that again was misunderstood coming into the league uh was sort of slept definitely slept on coming into the league and oh, yeah. then was a guy oh, yeah. who, yeah, definitely obviously slept on him when damn third day of the draft. And then was, again, misunderstood coming out of his rookie season. And, you know, he just wins again in ways that aren't flashy. He's kind of like a dirty work guy. I would say that has been the reason he's been kind of underrated so far. Man, you look at his, like, box score this year, though. It is consistent. I mean, stacked. 71 yards and a touchdown, 102 yards, 102 yards, 56 and a touch, 124 and a touch, 102, 108, 156 and a touch, 77 and a touch, like, racking up catches. He's fourth uh, right now heading into Monday Night Football in receiving yards. He yep. is – uh, he's top seven in catches right now. Like he's just productive. And a lot of it is because he, he does definitely win in different ways, but man, he's so critical to their offense. Like I, obviously outside of like the elite receivers and we can sit here and have a conversation about where you, where he, you think he ranks among receivers outside of like the elite tier receivers. I'm not sure there's any receiver who's more valuable, like more crucial to what their what his team does on offense because you know it's like some receivers get hurt and it's like okay the next guy steps up if Amon Ross St. Brown gets hurt there's no like there's nothing backup to Amon Ross St. <laughs> Brown nothing. who's going to come in here it's like absolutely nothing Jamison Williams isn't doing that stuff even though he's been kind of coming on lately like Josh Reynolds yeah. isn't isn't doing that Khalif Raymond weighs like 180 pounds he's not doing that stuff so <laughs> he's just so crucial like yeah there might not be yeah. like another receiver out there because of what he does from a dirty work perspective uh, what he does underneath the way he gives Jared Goff options and and that's yeah. crucial to this too one of the reasons I loved the Bud Light Cooper Cup comparison so much for Amon Ross St. Brown it's like well, I mean, that is just perfect for Jared Goff because that Cooper Cup was – before Cooper Cup went nuclear with Matthew Stafford, he was like Jared Goff's binky receiver, like his little mm -hmm. his little comfort blankie, you know, his emotional support receiver. Uh, right. And then it's like this guy's going to obviously become Jared Goff's emotional support receiver. And that matters so much. You even saw it on Sunday, right, when Jared Goff's throwing picks and he's going a little haywire in some circumstances – we still got number uh, 14 there to throw the ball to 11 times. Yeah, I mean, you take a look at what he's doing right now. Um, he's their go-to receiver, obviously. He's got a 75% catch rate. Um, this guy's averaging 12.3 yards per reception too, right? So it's not just these little, you know, these little skip passes, right? Like it's nothing like, it's not just all underneath stuff. Again, I think he's really winning uh, in that intermediate area of the field. So yeah, listen, is he a deep ball guy? Not, not really. Really, you know, that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
doesn't have the size or the speed, I think, to really consistently win downfield. But man, in the areas where it matters, like you need to get a first down, just throw to your boy Amon Ross St. Brown, man. He keeps the chains moving. He's unbelievable. Um, and, and again, I just thought... Um, you know, his improvements uh, across the board in terms of beaten zone, beaten man coverage. We just don't talk about Amon Ra enough. uh, And I thought we should rectify that because, man, he has been an absolutely special player. You talk about where to put this guy. I don't know. Top 10, certainly. Uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's going too far. You know, you take a look at like Tyreek Hill. um, What is it? Justin Jefferson when he's healthy. Uh, Jamar Chase, C.D. Lamb, A.J. Brown. Certainly all those guys are in the top five. Did I mention Diggs? No. So six at Diggs. Uh, And and again, after that, uh, maybe Brandon Ayuk at seven. You know, Devontae Adams at eight-ish, right? Uh, And then then we got Amon Ross St. Brown is is somewhere in that mix, man. Yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown, by the way, uh, 31 targets on third down. He has a 30.7% share of the targets on third down. He's been targeted on 31% of his routes run on third and fourth down, by the way. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, 77.4% catch rate, just crazy stuff in terms of moving the chains. Yeah, so the receivers to me, I think – that I would take ahead of him. Justin Jefferson, Devontae Adams, Steph Diggs, Tyree Kill, A.J. Brown, Jamar Chase. Then obviously number seven in terms of like our offseason elite receiver rankings was Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup's a tough guy. I mean, to with the right with, with uh, yeah, exactly. With the injuries and the age and all that kind of stuff. I it's like, I don't know. Go ahead and give me Amon Ra. Honestly. Just yep. go ahead and give me Amon Ra right now. I agree. Um and then I remember last year we did an episode of We Should Probably Do This, not this week, because my God, let's just get through this week to just get past Thanksgiving. But maybe like in the next right. weeks, we do like the we talk about who are the wide receivers coming in and out of the superstar club. Um, right. This is a great, you know, and then obviously, again, we're talking about the elite tier here, like receivers who are graduating up to the next level. Maybe we should do that episode in the next couple of weeks. But sure. CeeDee Lamb is definitely a guy that I think has graduated from the superstar yep. number one receiver to elite tier number one receiver. I would take CeeDee oh, Lamb yeah. ahead of Amon Ra. Um, Same. You know, Terry McLaurin, I still I'm still personally gonna take over over Amon Ross St. Brown. They play very different positions where and win in very different ways. Um, Mike Evans, maybe make up Mike Evans hasn't really shown signs of slowing down. And then like Brandon Ayuk Brandon Ayuk's one of the best receivers in the NFL right now. That guy is a, yes, an absolute correct. superstar. Then yeah, you get into sort of the Tyler Lockett, the DK Metcalf, the Devontae Smith, the T Higgins, like I think I'd take Amon Ra. The ones I'm like not thinking about, I'm taking him over T Higgins. I'm taking him over Jalen Waddle. Yep. Devontae yep. Smith, maybe that one's pretty close to me. Um, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I, I'm probably taking him ahead of those guys right now. So he is very much yep. like in the top ten to twelve wide receiver conversation uh, For sure. in the NFL right now, and he, he's very different than all of those guys that I just read off. Other than I means him and Ceedee Lamb do some similar things, but. Um, And just like, I mean, same thing, knock on wood, if CeeDee Lamb was to ever get hurt, the Cowboys offense is so beyond nuked, it's not even funny, which is the same (laughs) way with with, uh, St. Brown and the Lions. But yeah, I I think he's firmly in that group of wideouts right now, deservedly so. Yeah. Um, By the way, this is more narrative than anything else. And I know we talk a lot of analytics on this show, but just narratively, like just his attitude uh, and, and, and that work ethic that he brings, I think, to the Detroit Lions. It just, you talk about like a player and a coach, you know, and usually when you're talking player coach, you're talking about coach and quarterback, you know, but Mm -hmm. 
for me, Amon Ross St. Brown and, and Campbell, man, it's like, yo, they just go together. You know, it's it's these two guys that are just absolutely intense uh, competitors. And for me, it's like uh, you, you've got the perfect, you know, standard bearer, perfect flag bearer for your for your offense and your franchise in Amon Ross St. Brown when you're talking about. Um, you know, the head coach and being Campbell there too, talking about biting kneecaps and all that kind of stuff. Amon Ross St. Brown is certainly in, in, in that Venn diagram. You know what I mean? I was going to say, man, yeah, standard setter is a perfect way to say it because, again, this is a, a fourth-round draft pick, a guy who didn't earn anything, who came on at the end of his rookie season and needed a lot of injuries and a coaching change for him to really express right. that talent um, yeah. that, that was there the whole time that we we were talking about it you know going into the draft like man it's a really good player um he needed a lot of things to w- happen for that to, to work out but the one constant thing is yeah i mean the guy can rattle off all the names of the receivers who went ahead of him <laughs> every what, single one <laughs> and i'm sure i i don't know it off the top of my head but i am sure there are some hilarious ones in terms of players right. who went ahead of him um so yeah, man. I mean, he obviously has that intense work ethic, that that drive and the desire to to be great. And you know, that is something that, like, when one of your best players is a guy like that, it sends a message to everybody else it in the does. locker room. Like, you work hard. You work as hard as Amon Ross St. Brown is working, and you are that intense about this game. Like, you have an opportunity to become a superstar on this team. I do think that yeah. stuff matters. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. And I think Dan Campbell, obviously, uh, being the head coach there matters too in terms of driving that point home, you know. So, um, so yeah, no, it's a great marriage uh, between head coach and wide receiver there. All right. Hey, uh, listen, we talked about uh, the Rooker Report on our previous episode, uh, previous episodes, I believe. Um, but we've talked about, you know, JSN, Jaden Reed, Josh Downs. Uh, Matt's got a huge love affair for Josh Downs, <laughs> and rightfully so. And rightfully so. The guy's balling, man. He's, uh, he's a really really, really good player. Uh, we talked a little bit about Zay Flowers and Jonathan Mingo as well. So go check out previous episodes if you want to hear about um, where these rookies are at right now in their careers. Okay, but the full rookie report is on the website, receptionperception.com. There's a few players here that um, I think are notable that we have not really done a deep dive into yet. Now, we have talked a lot about Tank Dell, Matt. Uh, have talked a lot about him. But from a rookie report uh, perspective, w- what are some of the advanced numbers telling you about this kid, Nathaniel Tank Dell? Yeah, we've been gushing a lot about Tank Dell and some of the stuff that he's been doing, uh, you know, some particular parts of his game for sure. Um, oh, man, I mean, I really can't say enough good things about how um, – this guy has won at the NFL level. Uh, and, and, you know, it's been as an outside receiver. In the rookie report, 76.1% of his sampled snaps were outside. You know, this is not a guy that's running as a speed slot, anything like that. Um, he's splitting his time between on the line of scrimmage and off the line of scrimmage. But I think he personally runs best as a flanker who can move into the slot sometimes, um, which, you know, when – the game against the Bengals when Nico Collins missed, he had 14 targets, but he only had six catches because he's a little bit of like a journey at the catch point, you know, for mm-hmm. a guy who's smaller and everything like that. So having Nico back uh, to do that kind of over the middle stuff, the X receiver work, it, it frees Tank Dell up to be that, that flanker receiver and again can move into the slot at times. But like, I don't, I know this sounds like a hot take and sort of like a, 
a classic uh, Matt Harmon micro, you know, very narrow hot take. But, like, I kind of okay. think Tank Dell is one of the best receivers in the NFL right now on outbreaking routes. Uh, we talked okay. – this is what we've been talking about <laughs> with Tank Dell and where he really, really shines, okay. dating back to his collegiate reception perception profile. But, like, in the rookie report, 6% of his routes were corner routes. 77.8% success rate. That's crazy high. 13.3% of his routes were an out route. 80% success rate. That's crazy high. Uh, comebacks, 3.3% right. of his routes, 80% success rate. Really high. Um, and now he can go, what I think has been more impressive with Tank Dell in the NFL than even some of the stuff at Houston, like I wrote in his profile, for him to become a true like full field starting receiver, he's got to work the middle of the field a little bit. He primarily, again, just so dangerous on those outside routes, but 92, 92.3% success rate on curls, 94.4% success rate on digs. Uh, so going over the middle, working the boundary a little bit on those curl routes, coming back to the quarterback, that's been pretty great. But yeah, it's like even against the Cardinals, all of his, almost all of his big plays were on outbreaking routes as he goes and, and has a monster performance you can see why C.J. Stroud, like I said, I think that is the reason C.J. Stroud uh, was like, I, I love this guy and I want to play with him. You take a look at what he does in the intermediate area of the field, Matt, and I think he has absolutely destroyed defenses. I mean, again, above 80, at or above 80% success rate on the comeback, out, dig, and curl. These are all intermediate areas of the field. Um, and, and again, a huge portion of his routes come on those four routes as well. Right. So for him to be at or above 80% on all of those intermediate areas of the field, I know I'm a broken record here, man, but when you win here, you win in the NFL. That to me is exactly why tank Dell has been so successful because of when I look at your charting numbers, I'm like, yep, that makes sense. Yep. This guy wins in the intermediate areas of field. That's where he's torching defenses. That's why he's so successful. Um, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, I mean, listen, it, it surprised me to see the, 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 the level of success, okay? 94.4% success rate on the dig, 92% success rate on the curl. That's like, that's alien level stuff for a rookie, okay? Now, that being said, obviously not a full sample, so we'll see what a, the full sample uh, brings, but incredibly impre impressive performances uh, to start out Tank Dell's career. Dude, I mean, so impressive, and if he went anywhere else, like to a quarterback who's not CJ Stroud, I really wonder like what he'd be doing because yeah, I, I agree with you. The work in the intermediate over the middle, like that's where you really, you, if you want a consistent player and you want to move the ball consistently, you have to work the middle of the field. And the Texans have worked the middle of the field extremely well. you know, Nico Collins again has been great on these like right. big overs. Uh, he actually is really high. We were looking at those third down, third and fourth down numbers for, Amon Ross St. Brown, Nico Collins is fifth in the NFL despite missing some time in receiving yards on third down. So like he's been getting mm. third down targets and making big plays. 3.22 yards per route run on third down for Nico Collins. That's actually pretty close to like CD Lamb and, and right. DJ Moore and, and, and all these guys and Josh Downs, you know, all the Tyree Kill, all the superstar receivers. Um kidding. To get that back to the Josh Downs stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean <laughs> Tank Dell, like he's been really great on those over the middle route as well. Like I mentioned with the dig routes and stuff, but I, I can't, I can't say enough about like these corner routes and out routes and stuff like that, that he runs because that is so singular to like a confident 
quarterback. Even I think the one touchdown, like you see CJ Stroud, like tell him to keep going, like and and it's an adjustment on the d- deep out breaking route against the Cardinals, and he throws the touchdown to him. So like these guys are just in fuego right now. I, I'm yeah. curious, actually, James. Do you? Because I struggle with this, and some of it is because he's like 166 pounds or whatever he measured in. But do you have a good like player comparison for no for Tank Dell? I no. I don't either. Uh, outside, like I think maybe like John Brown. I was thinking is, John Brown. Yeah, and look, is I probably mean, the closest, but I, even that's not a great one, man. Like because his size and where he lines up. You're right. The coaching staff it makes a huge difference because honestly. I think most coaching staffs, I mean, Jesus Christ, I, I would look at his size and say, yeah, we're going to make him a speed slot guy. I don't know. <laughs> He's working perfectly as a flanker, man. Like mm-hmm. absolute perfect flanker uh, in terms of the routes run, in terms of his success rate, in terms of what routes he's running, man. Just perfect. Absolutely perfect. But yeah, John Brown's probably the closest comp that I can come to, but at that size, playing as a flanker, I just, I, I don't, I, there's just not that many guys. Yeah. Uh, John Brown in 2016 ran an out route on 15.4% uh, of his routes. Honestly, I don't know. I mean, he's not like a Brandon Ayuk, but yeah, it's, he's a tough one to make a comparison for. That's for Yeah. Sure. John Brown was a 5'10", 180, you know, so an, probably a good 15 pounds heavier um than tank dell and and by the way i think tank dell's got a little bit more i don't know like uh fast twitch than john brown too i mean obviously yeah. I mean, look if you're that size you got to have some fast twitch here you know uh you got to have something but nah man it's just i uh, we, we don't see too many of these players man. <laughs> don't see too many of these players be successful in the nfl is he like a tyree kill type no, because Tyreek's more muscular, uh, yeah. certainly more muscular, more physical. Um, and, and by the way, just obviously at the catch point too, man, Tyreek's really, really good. So good at, at attacking the ball up in the air. Um, so no, I, I, I don't think, like I said, it's just so rare to see somebody of this size be this successful uh, playing outside the way that he has. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think um – I think when you get into the size, that's the thing that trips you up. But from yeah, playing style standpoint, he is kind of um, it's a little bit like similar to like a Devonte Smith. Um, mm-hmm. too. I think he could be like that type of player, especially as yeah. he continues to get uh, better and better. I think at the at the catch point, if he continues to improve there, uh, then he would really be very Devonte Smith esque. Yeah, I think Devonte Smith has him though in terms of uh, he can run a more higher variety of routes, and then also strangely effective, uh, more effective than I think Tank Dell on deeper routes as well. And boy, man, we talk about that catch point stuff, bro. Like, dude, Devonte Smith, man, his yes, hands are just unbelievable. He is crazy there. <laughs> he's and crazy, I'll say this, dude. man. I know everybody, every NFL podcast you listen to is gonna say like, yeah, and I've heard because I've heard it. Oh yeah, CJ Stroud's have a great rookie year. Just imagine when they get him a number one receiver. Imagine when they get him like T Higgins or something in the offseason. Dude, I don't think they need T Higgins. Like honestly, I really don't. I think no. I think um, you know Noah Brown's shown himself to be, and he's on a one year deal. I think maybe one or two yeah. year deal, but like he's he's not a priority piece. But he's shown himself to be a good depth piece. What Tank Dell is doing, like what Nico Collins is doing with this team, like they've got a good trio there in Tank Dell and Nico Collins and CJ Stroud. Like I think that that is a a group you can build around. It's a group that's not going to cost you like true more money than God, you know? I mean, cuz T, T Higgins is going to I had somebody ask me like 
uh, you know, is this going to affect T Higgins's market? Like if Joe Burrow is banged up, you know, can he take a one year prove it deal and come back to Cincinnati? I'm like, uh, no, like if he hits the open market, the Panthers will just throw <laughs> more money at him than your mind gobs. can comprehend. Okay. Yeah, so, gobs. um, yeah, just gobs of money. I, I think like, look, you got just a good group here to build around. You can add some complimentary pieces, but Man, I don't know. Right now, I think they've got a really good wide receiver duo there in, in Nico and Tank. What I Fun think names, that too, they, by the way. Fun names. Yeah. It's so, no, it's totally true. Um, you know what I think they really need? And, and who, God, who would fit this bill, man? But they need a Christian Kirk, right? They need somebody who can play in the slot, absolutely get open, win, but also they need a little bit of a bigger body. And I only say that because, listen, we love Tank Dell. We're, we're you know, extolling the virtues here of Tank Dell. But 5'10", 165. The NFL nowadays, man, like, you know, they're going to body you at some point, right? So what's the counterpunch? You got to have some physicality from the slot position, right? If you are going to run Tank Dell as a flanker, right? So so a physical slot receiver, and there's not too many names that come to mind. That's why I think of a Christian Kirk um, from that position. But I agree with you. I don't think they need T because T is a little redundant to what Nico Collins is doing. Um, and Nico Collins, I think, gives you almost all of what T gives you at n- not even anywhere near that same price point, right? So, um, so yeah, for me, and, and again, we just talked about Tank's playing really great as a flanker, you know? Like, if you bring in a T Higgins, then what are you doing? You're going to kick, you're going to kick T, uh, Tank Dell to, to the inside? That doesn't, I don't know. To me, that doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? So, I don't know. Can you think of a player that would fit that physical slot role. And by the way, if it's not a physical slot guy, give me a just a a, a really great athlete at tight end and, and somebody that could just beat zone uh, on, a, uh, on a play-by-play basis. Uh, but either one, they, they need something like that where somebody can, you know, beat them up inside. That's that's something that I think the Houston Texans would love to have. Yeah, to be honest with you, not not like a I mean, I'm just looking at like the available free agents right now. It's like actually a lot of outside guys, Mike Evans, M- Michael Pittman, Calvin Ridley, um, you know, Rashid Shahid is a little redundant with Tank, um, Gabe right. Davis, Marquise Brown. No, and then I'm just sorting by receiving yards and then I oh, I get to Noah Brown, <laughs> who's kind of been <laughs> that guy for them this year. Like yes, I yes, I think they'll yes. probably just want to try yes, to bring him back and and see what happens. So that would be my guess right now, but you know, maybe it's a draft prospect, and obviously I have yeah. not gotten to the draft. We're getting to the time of the year when people ask me, like, have you looked at the draft prospects yet? I'm very excited to look at the draft prospects, but I have not even begun to thought about th- yeah, to think yeah, about yeah, that yet. Yeah. We'll get there. Interesting, interesting. I, I'd love to say, ooh, may, maybe they get a little spicy, try to do a little reclamation project on Traylon Burks, play him, and, and and fulfill the the Matt Harmon destiny of playing Pass. him as a power slot guy. Pass. We, we're all set there. <laughs> okay. All Let's right. just We're get good. a different, get a different younger player. Uh, maybe it's honestly, I think what could help take their offense to the next level is like a dynamic, like running back that can do a little bit more, uh, you know, like in the past game, that actually would be a pretty good uh, matchup breaker for them. Um, Jordan Addison is another rookie. Um, didn't get to talk about him in a previous episode. Uh, he's played 78% outside. Uh, you've noted in previous episodes that Addison has struggled a bit against press coverage, but full rookie profile right now. What are you seeing with Jordan Addison? Yeah, I think Addison is a good player. I think he's probably going to be a long-term two in the league. Um, like, I think Tank Dell has been a better, better version of kind of the same player 
uh, <laughs> as Jordan Addison. And I don't mean to say that to disrespect Jordan Addison. I just mean to say that Tank Dell has been really, really good. Um, now, Addison's best routes are different. Like, he's these, like, big in-breaking routes, post routes and slant routes and crossing routes. Those are his best routes. He definitely struggles with press coverage, and that's been an issue. You saw it again, honestly, um, against the Denver Broncos last night. That was the most predictable, like, under bet you could have possibly made was uh, Jordan Addison against Josh against the uh, Pat Sertan Denver Broncos. Like, uh-huh. he's just the type of cornerback that's going to give – Jordan Addison some issues right now he gets a lot of good receivers issues but definitely a player who struggles with press you know sub 50% success rate versus press for Jordan Addison Mm. now I will say that has gone up uh the longer the more games that have been added to the sample so maybe by the end of the year we're up in like the you know low 60s range for Jordan Addison I think that's possible that's still not great no you still would want that to be better uh but I do think he's shown an ability to improve upon some of these issues but i do maintain that that is still a big problem and if he is going to ever reach the ceiling of being like a true one which i know that vikings don't need him to be a true one because they have justin jefferson and they have tj hawkinson and all that but i really think he's probably if i had to think like three years down the road like he's just a great two and not a real true one which i that's not disrespectful and it's a great draft pick because it's exactly Mm -hmm. what they needed but that's kind of where i feel about jordan addison right now uh, I definitely feel as if uh, we're talking about head coach of the year candidates. Kevin O'Connell, if if he can somehow drag this Vikings team oh, into the playoffs, yeah. he needs consideration. KLC has been, um, I think in my opinion, has been fantastic, and he's been terrific um, for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, okay, uh, we talked about some good players, you know, uh, with Jordan Addison, Tank Dell, we're excited about Okay, let's talk about some bad players. Um what about let's have, the, let's have the Quentin Johnson conversation? <laughs> you take a look at this guy's route tree, man. It's red on every route except the lowly screen. Um, and again, red means below average, below the league average in terms of success rate on those routes, which means he has a success rate that is not very good. Um, I, and again, I know his name is certainly um, hot right now because of that horrendous drop he had at the end of the game here in week number 11 where he catches that and most likely the Chargers are in field goal range, but given the Chargers, who knows if they even kick that field goal or hit that field goal, right? Uh, so I'll ask you this, Matt. Have you ever seen a player score so poorly uh, in terms of success rate on these routes and success rate against man and zone? Have you ever seen a player like that score so poorly and then bounce back? <sighs> well, not really. Uh, okay, I mean, that was a long, that was a long ass pause right there. <laughs> there, there. If we pull up the historical data, okay. First, first of all, let's talk about the drop thing because you know, okay. you know me, James. I have been. One to say, like, drops can be overstated. Drops can mm-hmm. be overrated. We can overfocus on drops. I've never said drops don't matter. Obviously, drops matter. That's, like, a stupid thing to say. But they can definitely be an overrated negative note, you know, an over negativity bias. I wrote this piece on Backyard Banter years and years and years ago. It can be an overrated point of the wide receiver discussion. That is true when players offer you things that make the drops worth living with. 
you know, mm-hmm. like a Deontay Johnson. He drops a lot of passes, and it's because he gets open all the time. He, there's a reason you live with those drops because he makes plays and he gets open. He creates reliable target. You know, AJ Brown has had drop issues in the past. I don't think you need me to tell you why you live with AJ Brown's drop issues. <laughs> way more famous examples throughout the course of NFL. Yeah, history. yeah, yeah. The thing is, when you're Quentin Johnston and you're dropping passes. It's really problematic because you're not doing anything that makes those drops worth living with. And I mean, the Chargers do have to live with them right now because he is like their own. Their only reason he's playing is because the two guys ahead of him got hurt of Mike Williams and Josh Palmer. Like, right. I said this on the podcast all offseason that Josh Palmer is going to open the season ahead of Quinton Johnston because Quinton Johnston is not ready to play in the NFL. And he has not looked ready to play in the NFL. Like you said, his success rate versus man coverage just just is all of his overall success rates. Again, obviously this is not a full sample. Um, Johnson has time to improve if he if he figures it out down the stretch. But right now, his success rates in the rookie report compared to the historical databases, I mean, they're nightmarish. The 38.9% success rate versus man would be the second lowest in RP history. The 50.9% success rate versus zone coverage is the second lowest. Uh, the 35.3% success rate versus press would be the fifth lowest. Um, if you just look at, like, again, success rate versus man coverage, ironically, the bottom few numbers, uh, the bottom one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight numbers right now are like, a lot of the all-time bad rookie seasons. Uh, all-time. It's it's Justin Hunter in 2014. That was his second season, but still, that's the lowest in RP history. Terrace Marshall in 2021, 39.5% success rate versus man. Uh, 2020, Jalen Rager, 40.9% success rate versus man. Devontae Parker, 42.9% rookie season 2015, success rate versus man coverage. Marquise Lee, 2014, 44.1% success rate versus man coverage. Devontae Adams, now that's a name to remember, 2014, 47% success rate versus man coverage as a rookie. Devin Funches, 2015, success rate versus man coverage as a rookie, 47.5% success rate. So those are a lot of the like all-time bad rookie seasons, guys that offered you absolutely nothing. Um obviously the one that stands out there is Devonte Adams. Yes. Of course, he went from like the bottom barrel to the top. Now he owns like if you flip to the positive <laughs> side of the historical database. Right, right. He is up there with multiple scores in the top 10. Okay. So he's got one of the worst rookie seasons ever. He became one of the best receivers of this era of football. But then you look at all those other guys, Hunter, Marshall, Rager, Devontae Parker has actually been like fine compared to these guys. For sure. Marquise Lee, like these are Devin Funches. These are Devin Funches became a tight end for God's sakes. Like (laughs) that is the company that Quinton Johnson is currently keeping. It's yeah. as bad as it gets, man. I mean, there's there's no, like, there's just no way to talk around it. And, like, the film is the film, okay? This is what it is. Can he improve upon this? I mean, yeah, we've seen, again, Adams, Parker to a degree, salvage their NFL careers. But the odds are not in his favor right now at this point. Yeah, okay. So um, I, you kind of talked about it here. But, again, it sounds like the most likely outcome um, is that he completely busts out, totally. which is, uh, it's just so hard for me to fathom that this guy is this bad against press coverage when you are this size. How are you 210 pounds? You know, uh, you're running a sub four, five 40. I, I just don't, I don't understand. 
I don't, I do not understand how you can be this bad, um, you know, against man coverage, against press coverage. And it just, I, it just, it, it really does surprise me to uh, like to to a very large but, degree but it is really that does. that was something like even watching him in college it's like yeah he's doing this in the big 12 or whatever you know is he gonna right. do this in the nfl like even some of this after catch stuff and uh, that that's one thing where uh, we don't even have a good answer to that in his no, perception, perception rookie report sample he's only been in space like an opportunity to break a tackle on two percent of his routes Jesus. nothing and again that is uh, that is <laughs> that's not bad planning that is bad yeah. planning by this coaching staff which isn't good i mean brandon staley is after oh, you, you don't know, say you don't you say. don't say yeah brandon staley is sniping <laughs> at reporters and, and 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 getting getting snippy and testy oh, about his goodness. defense that's terrible i mean the chargers are just oh what a disaster they're a but mess this, yeah this this looks awful and i mean it definitely like he needs an offseason, Quinton Johnson, to get get this stuff figured out. And and unfortunately, I do think, you know, it's one thing when I mean, and you've seen reports uh, over the years like Kevin White, the Bears have to remind him that he's good at football. Like Devonte Parker, I had to go back and watch my college highlights to remind myself that I can play. Like I do think now that Quinton Johnson, like so much of the spotlight is going to be on him because of these big drops, um, and from a guy that people, you know, and Justin Herbert that is in that like quarterback zone where his he, he's got there's it's really polar extremes you got some media members that want can't wait to tell you he's overrated and then you've got others that will defend him no matter what and I think I'm more on the will def- defend him camp I think he's a really good quarterback but there's so much polar extremes there that that spotlight is going to be on Quinton Johnston and he's dropping the ball in these big moments like against the Packers um, that, that is going to be tough because then I hope, then you just have to worry about his confidence and stuff. Like he's a guy that just like needs to get to the off season and, and get some work in with a receiver coach to try to learn through these releases and maybe get it. I mean, definitely have a new coaching staff that maybe wants to put him as right. not the ex receiver. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> um, by the way, I think he is cursed with expectation. Unfortunately, I think you put it best when you talked about Jalen Hyatt and where he went in the draft. If he was a first yeah. round draft pick problems, but he's a third round draft pick. So all of a sudden you go from, okay, he stinks as a first rounder, but you're intrigued now as a third rounder, right? Um, and if Quentin Johnson was in that same boat where you're like, oh, he's moldable clay. We got to work at him. You know, he's a yeah. third round draft pick. That's why we we invest a third round pick on him and not a first round pick on him. The conversation surrounding Quentin Johnson's ability would be completely different. Uh, and so I would just say at this point in his career, and it's so early, it does suck for him that he, because it's not his fault he got drafted in the first round, bro. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? He's cursed with expectation. So that kind of stinks for him. Um, but man, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, the psychology part of it is always so fascinating. It's always so fascinating for me because you just you don't know what's going on in a guy's head. Um, and and by the way, these guys are not video game sprites. You know the 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 psychology of it all, man, makes a huge difference. That's why I mean we saw it on the quarterback show. Kirk Cousins. I mean, he has a sports psychologist that he talks to on the weekly. That's crazy, yeah. man. You know. Yeah. 
just to keep his head on straight, bro. Like that kind of stuff matters, I think. And it's hugely important. Anyways, um, we've been running on, uh, on and on and on a very long show, but that's okay. Uh, if you want to catch the rest of the rookie report, obviously go to the website, receptionperception.com. You will see profiles on Demario Davis, Michael Wilson, and all the other guys, uh, and a lot more details on certainly some of the guys that we have talked about already. Uh, Zay, Zay Flowers, Jonathan Mingos, Josh Downs. If you want to see those in-depth numbers and that in-depth breakdown, go to the website, receptionperception.com. All right, that's it for us. For Matt Harmon, I'm James Coe. We'll see you. And remember, it's never too late to chase your dreams. All right, peace. Peace.